I understand what that song means now. I gotta go back and listen to that song. See, I ain't understand the song. We sing songs, don't even understand. I'm telling you, Zion is calling hit different when you actually move into a higher place. It hit different. We exalt the hit different when you actually exalt God. Praise the Lord. It's Forest Hall. Again, it's Real Church Matters. Where we talk Real Church Matters because Real Church Matters. Shout out to everybody that listens. I appreciate you listening. Uh, Trying to get more regular with this again. Um, Yeah, it's a process. Been taking a lot of time to be very internal. uh, Not just within my own heart. But within my own family, with my within my own home, and just getting uh, acclimated back to broadcasting and amplifying the signal. Always need to take time to sharpen the knife. When it's time to pull the knife out, can't be afraid to use it. So with that being said, housekeeping, it's always realchurchmatters.com is where you can check it out or you can check it out on Apple uh, podcast which they got their own little app now. So it's just a podcast app. Uh, you can also um, check it out on Spotify. I don't get a lot of people to listen on, on there, but those that do, thank you. Also, I'm do better about um, promoting the music. Uh, you can always go check out Separation Anxiety, the EP that I released. You can search for it. Uh, the artist's name is FSH. Just because uh, Force didn't sound good <clears throat> But um, yeah So FSH Separation Anxiety Six songs I'm working on much more uh, A lot of them are already done Just waiting for the opportunity and the time That I feel uh, It pushed on my heart to do so Thank you everybody that's listened Especially my nieces and nephews uh, And everybody else that's sent me messages said that their favorite song is leave it on them um i kind of figured it would be uh that's the type of music that i'm interested in making it's music that you can listen to grow to think to meditate to read the word to change your life to that type of stuff and for those of you who are not interested in that particular genre of music don't think of it as a genre because you might miss the message because it wasn't packaged the way you feel comfortable with it being packaged so don't be like that as always it's obedience over audience if I did get tattoos that would be on me something I've been challenged to live by and forever will with that being said I think we are in episode 146 no, but we're going to get to it. Today, I want to talk to you about how we see God and how he sees us. I think it will be helpful for you. And I'm going to breeze through this. So this might not even be a long episode, but we're on episode 144. That's what it is. Episode 144. And, uh, I'm going to call this one, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? 
So we're in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And uh, before I go on, shout out to my nephew Solomon. He has had the distinct pleasure or displeasure of uh, having to deal with his uncle on a daily basis as we are are taking a, a concerted effort to help develop him and grow him up in the faith, not just grow him up as a human being or let him to come to his own maturation process. Since we know the evolution of humanity is more humanity, but the evolution of God is humanity to spirituality. So I'm trying to walk him through that. I remember being his age. He turned 15 this week. And uh, so shout out to him for being patient, for fighting the fight and pressing his way through, because I'm not going to let him be comfortable in just being a man. And those around him are not going to be comfortable just letting him be a man. And hopefully you're doing the same thing for your children. You aren't just comfortable with them being a man but you de- or a woman. But you desire for them to be men and women of God. So, yeah, shout out to him. I love you. 15 years in and we got a ways to go. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? I'm going to stop right there for a second because I thought it was interesting that Jesus was concerned who people thought he was or concerned with how they view him or concerned with their perspective of him. And I know that uh, in many ways we teach people even very at a young age that They shouldn't care what people think. But I want you to look at this and understand something. If you take notes, make sure you write this down. It is very clear that Jesus cares how you see him because how you see him dictates how you deal with him. And God and Jesus and religion There's an understanding of God dealing with us, but we don't really focus on how we deal with God, how we interact with God. That is defined by how we view him. I used to get frustrated as a kid and wonder why did kids pick on me? I would see them not pick on other kids, some because they were bigger, some because they were tougher, some because I don't know. I'm like, hey, that guy is not messing with y'all. Just like I'm not messing with you. Why are you picking on me? It's because of how they viewed me. How they saw me. When people see you as a pushover, they're going to push you over. And in that respect, when we see Christ in a certain way, it defines whether we deal with him properly or improperly. And so the, when he was asking them this, he there is a wrong answer. There is a wrong answer. You may say, you know, how do you see me? And then somebody shares how they see you. And you're like, oh, I don't agree with that. That's how Jesus is. He's he's like, tell me what people are saying about me and I'll tell you who is right. 
And so in verse 14, they reply, some say John the Baptist. And we know that's wrong. He ain't John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. We know that's wrong. That's a misinterpretation of the scriptures and the prophecies. And and I want to share with those things because sometimes you see people in misinterpreting Jesus Christ to be something that he is not. Sometimes they misinterpret him to be someone that he is not. Jesus is your savior, but he is not your bail bondsman. Jesus is your savior. But he is not your fixer upper. He is not your mistake fixer. He is not here to serve you. He is not a servant in that regard. He is here to serve God. And hopefully in serving God, he turns you to a person who wants to serve God as well. So there's a misinterpretation that we see in many instances. And still others said he was Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said, "Okay, well, what about you? In verse 15, he asked, who do you say I am? And so we we as church people, and this is something that I love is we as church people tend to preach whole messages about what the world thinks of Christ. They're going to be wrong in their assessment. They're going to be wrong in their interpretation. They're going to be wrong in their perspective. And and I love how Jesus is like, okay, you telling me what they're saying, but what do you think? What do you who walk with me think? What do we as people who consider ourselves to be followers of Christ, to be followers of his teachings, who do we say that he is? And we should really think about this. Who do you think that Christ is? I love the fact that he asked them this question and then acknowledges when someone gives the right answer. So I don't even have to guess in 2020. Neither do you. You don't have to guess with who is Jesus. Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I love it because every last one of those words means something. And I want to make sure that we focus on them right now. So, number one, there's Messiah. He says, you're the Messiah. Another word for savior. He is our savior. He lets them know, I know who you are, but I also know your function. I know you came to save me. Beyond everything else, I think there's a fundamental disconnect with Jesus because we forget that primarily he is savior. John 316 lets us know he is designated, ordained and chosen to be savior. What is he saving me from? He's saving me from damnation. He's saving me from hell. He's saving me from the prison of sin on earth. He's saving me from the wrath of God. He's savior. I am asking you as you listen to this podcast, is Jesus savior to you? Because it will influence how you engage with him. We engage with a savior. Number one, by asking him to save us. A lot of people don't seem to think that they need saving. 
a lot of people don't see themselves in trouble. I know they may say it, but one thing I notice is that people's actions show you what they really feel. And you don't see people carrying themselves with an urgency. It's kind of like how in today's time, there are people who consider this COVID emergency to be a true emergency and are treating it as such and are staying there behind home and are wearing masks and are watching and being careful about who they engage with and what they do. There's a sense of urgency there. And then there's other people who don't see the big deal. Think they're fine. They can't get sick. And even if they do get sick, I heard one person say it's more contagious than dangerous. And they were so proud of themselves with the the, the wordplay and the simplicity of it and something that they can hang their hat on and uh, find a place to rest their anxieties. But what I don't understand is why we consider something only dangerous if it affects us. The fact that it even affects other people makes this dangerous. I am not connected immediately to anyone who has suffered from COVID, but I know two people, one who had it and one who died from it in a more distant fashion. But it's enough for me to know this is not anything to play with. And a lot of times, even as a young person in church, you hear people warn about the wages of sin is death. You hear people talk about what uh, exposing ourselves to to certain things can do. You hear people talk about this. And as young people, you say, man, that ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. So I'm actually talking lately to uh, to people and and they, they were dealing with somebody who. Young person who smokes weed. And for me, I was like, man. Young people have a hard time seeing the immediacy or the effects of what they do because it doesn't have an immediate effect. And so uh, it's hard for people to see they need help when what they're doing doesn't hurt them immediately or at all. In the way that hurt is viewed. Because ultimately when we are operating in a way that with drugs say. And drugs present a situation where we are removing ourselves from sobriety. We're removing ourselves from being sober. And because of that reality. Like we are constantly in a position Where we are not thinking straight. But we are escaping or removing ourselves from the realities that create anxiety in us. And because of that reality, we don't see how escapism is really what we are dealing with. And improperly coping with life is what we are dealing with when we think of drugs. And so we don't see how. We are weakening ourselves and not flexing the muscles of faith and the reliance on faith and to walk this thing out and fight this fight in a true sober fashion. We're just putting our heads in a proverbial sand by numbing ourselves to emotions, numbing ourselves to the awarenesses of realities, 
through drugs. And so it's hard to get that to seem like something urgent that one should address when a lot of what we are suffering from is like a death by a thousand cuts. If you've never heard of that term before, it comes from like a Asian culture. And what they would do as a torture mechanism is not just stab you immediately and not just, you know, maim you or hurt you in an in immediate fashion. But they would constantly, slowly, methodically over a period of time, cut you until you finally bled out. And I think that, that that's the misnomer about the. The enemy, the world, and the principalities of this air is that it is a slow death. Slow death. You don't even realize you're losing consciousness. You don't realize you're weakening yourself. You don't realize that you are dying until you're dead. And so it, it loses a bit of the urgency. You're going to be a little more scared if the enemy is actually this pointy-eared, pointy-tailed, half Something have something else red being with a pitchfork and he's chasing you around. No, he's very subtle. He's very cunning and he's very methodical. And what he does is a very painless death. But it's still death. Ask Adam and Eve. Ask Cain. Ask many of the other people who submitted themselves to something because it felt good, not realizing that it is a very painless death. Subtle sneaks up on you. And before you know it, you don't understand how you got to where you are. You've seen it when Adam and Eve try to reorient themselves and figure out how did I get here? How did I end up naked? What is naked? Why am I bothered by this? How did I get to this place? Where's some clothes? Oh, there's some leaves. Let me hide. Why am I hiding and afraid of God? Just yesterday, I was cool with him. I walked with him in the breeze, in the cool of the day. Why am I hiding from him now? Why has my perspective of him changed? These things happen so quickly. Even in our lives, we don't realize the slow death that is being prepared for us because we don't understand the urgency. I realize that with parenting. I'm watching parents and the way they deal with their children. And the more self-reliant their children are, the less they feel the urgency to tend to them. The less they feel the urgency to watch them. It's a slow death. One day they wake up and they don't understand why their children are acting the way they are, why they think the way they are. They don't understand why they're failing the way they are. They, they miss these things because they were in their selves, in their heads, and not seeing the urgency because failure doesn't come like Jason or Freddy Krueger. It doesn't come like Michael Myers. Failure in God and everything else comes subtly. Quiet death is for us to truly understand what we must do. We have a responsibility to be aware. And so I'm saying all that to say that it's in that awareness that we realize we in trouble and we need a savior. 
And when I see God as my savior and I understand the realities that I am in trouble, I engage with him as a savior. I don't go to him talking about save me from financial debt when I know that my soul is in peril. I don't go to him talking about save, help me get back on my feet financially when I know that I'm far from on my feet spiritually. That I'm dying inside and I'm weak and I'm being overcome by this world. The priorities are messed up because you don't know who Jesus is. No. You mistaking him to be something that he is not. Some say he's John the Baptist. Some say he's Elijah and some say he's a genie. Here to just answer every one of their wishes and please. Some say he's just a, a, a failed parent. Is supposed to clean up the mistakes of a wayward child. No. Peter ain't knew the right answer. He said he is the Messiah. The son of the living God. The, the cool thing here is there's two parts to this. Number one, he understood he's just the son. He's the son. This has an important context because we have to have the same mind of Christ that he has of himself, which is that he is constantly serving the father. And so we learn from the son how to treat the father. And so understanding he's the son is perfect because that's what he's always tried to make sure they like, oh, Jesus, like, uh, you you are so awesome. You're so good. He said, none's good but the Father. Everything that you see of me is a reflection of who I love and who I serve. So if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, which is to serve the Lord with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy strength, amongst other things. But he's always made a distinction to make sure we understand what part he plays in the greatest plan ever known the greatest rescue heist ever concocted that God would give his only begotten son for people who barely know who he is and even less understand how to love him or serve. Him. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I'm so grateful for that. I hope you are, too. The reality is, is that we need to see him as son. Because it helps us. He as he welcomes us to the family, he says, hey, you guys are adopted, but this is my birth father and you guys are adopted. But I'm going to show you how we run things in this house, how my dad likes things to be, how he likes things to be cleaned, how he likes things to run, how he likes things to operate. Thanks, Jesus, for showing me how your dad or now my dad likes things to be because I want to please him. It's the least I can do for him accepting me and bringing me into the fold and calling me one of his own. Third thing is he is the son of the living God. When you understand that he didn't just say he's the son of God, but the son of the living God. I believe that you are more than just a man. I believe you are the son of God, the living God. And by believing that you are the son of God, I believe that you are, that there is a living God. I believe that he, there is a God. And so a lot of times people believe in God, but don't believe in Christ. But they go hand in hand for the believer. 
to go hand in hand for us because I noticed that there's people who don't just understand they need a savior and therefore should engage with Christ as a savior. There's people that don't understand how this man could walk among us as humans, but be the son of God. And the reason why they can't understand that is because they don't understand the idea of there being a living God. Not a statue, not a symbolic representation of virtues, but a true and living God. I also understand that while people don't have an urgency to know they need a savior, they don't have a belief system or faith that allows them to to understand there can be a God. I see atheism not as a affirmation of a truth, but a a resigning oneself that they can never accept the truth. That's unfortunate. Jesus replied in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. He let him know, he said, the reason you have the right answer is not because you're educated or you're astute or you went to seminary school. The reason you have the right answer is because you have allowed yourself to hear from God. Flesh and blood couldn't reveal this to you. It was my father that told you about me so that you would be open and receptive for me to tell you about him. And about how he is someone you should serve. I want to make sure that we understand that there's a reality here that comes in when we open ourselves to the truth. And I know there's people who have opinions and man, opinions are, are so convoluted. They're so fickle too. our opinions even betray us. Because I believe one thing and then as I experience things and see things, I start to believe another thing. It's very easy to get so tangled up in opinions. But I'm telling you, if you want to be have truth, it needs to be revealed to you, not by flesh and blood or the means of flesh and blood, but by God himself. When you read the scriptures, read it in flesh and blood, but oh, let pray That God opens your eyes so that he can reveal to you from his self what the words mean. There's more than paper and ink there. There's more than just over thousands of pages bound together in a book that we call the Bible. That is a series of prophetic teachings and uh, rules and poems and sonnets and letters and revelatory dreams documented, you got to understand, it won't be more than that until you allow God to reveal it to you. It's not something you got to beg him for. He says, let him ask for wisdom. So I'm taking this period of time in this podcast to let you know you need to be actively asking for wisdom, asking for wisdom as it relates to everything. I am more aware of the failings of people than I've ever been. And I look at how they deal with children. 
I look at how they deal with themselves. I look at how they deal with their situations. And I'm so disappointed because these are people who say that they serve God, but they have yet to allow him to reveal something to them beyond flesh and blood. It's unfortunate, but one of the things my mom said, and I, I'm so grateful that she said is that we have to work out patience. And so I'm going to suffer long. I'm going to suffer long with people. But I also I, I'm taking this moment in this podcast to let you know that the people of God see you. We see you not relying on the father, but relying on flesh and blood to understand and try to interpret who he is and what he's saying in his word. And we're seeing you stumble as a result. We're seeing you guess wrong. We're seeing you make educated guesses, but you are wrong about who Jesus is. You are wrong about who God is. And it's making your engagements with him wrong. See a woman. She may have forgot her wedding ring. She goes out to the store. You look at her hand to see if she's married. You are using a very flesh and blood method to understand who she is. But it can fail you because you didn't know she just left her ring home. So now you approach her and you're you're telling her how you're interested about her. And she says, I'm married. And you don't believe her because you don't see a ring. See, you're missing the reality of I can't base what I know on flesh and blood on mere sight. Because it can betray me. It can deceive me, not even purposely, but because you decided to make assumptions based on what you see. That's what they did with Christ. That's what we do with Christ. It's time to stop going by flesh and blood and ask God to reveal to us who he is. Stop making assumptions. Oh, you doing all this healing. You must be God. No, I'm not God. I'm the son of God. Oh, since I was a child, they told me just trust in you and you'll take care of everything. Oh, they were wrong. They were wrong. I don't just take care of everything. I do my will. And I look for people to do my will as well. Last part before we wind it on up. Verse 18 says, and I tell you that you are Peter. I love this. I love this because now that we know who God is, it takes us to another place. And I love that one thing happens before the other. You understand who God is, and then God tells you who you are to him. I know because not only did I read this in the scriptures, but as I read it, I realized this is how he played out in my life. He constantly is challenging me as to who he is. And when I finally got it right, he began to tell me who I am. Hmm. I'm taking I'm being very calm today because I, I what I'm sharing is 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 for a certain person. Somebody might hear this and this might just go through your head. You might already cut it off. So I'm not even talking to you, really. 
but I'm talking to the people who are still listening and the people who are still listening. Congratulations on listening and following through because you understand that the truth is so valuable that even when it sounds like it's not something that is interesting, you realize this is something that is truly powerful to your life. So he told Peter about himself. He said, number one, you're Peter. I want you to know that I'm going to acknowledge you by name because I expect you to acknowledge me by name. I want you to know that I don't have a special name for you. I got the name that your parents named you because I gave them and ordained them and di- directed them to have the deputize them. That's the word I want to use. Deputize them with the power and the responsibility to not only name you, but to love you and keep you and protect you. Like me. So you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. He let us know not what he felt. He He's not like us where he has a misinterpretation of who we are. Who he says we are is the truth. It's not just for Peter. It's for all of us. He says that he is going to use us as the foundation by which to build a body of believers. He's doing it. He's done that. We all are a part of this important building of the kingdom because he uses us. He says, I'm building this whole thing. It's like when a a football team drafts a number one pick that, that, that becomes the franchise player. And they're going to build around that player. So they're going to get some nice receivers for that quarterback. They're going to get some nice protection, some good offensive linemen for that quarterback. Everything they're doing is built around this thing because this thing is so vital to the growth and the success of the team. See, Jesus knew people are vital to the success of the kingdom. God don't need none of us. No, 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 no. He didn't say he needed us. He wants us. He has set it up in a way where we are vital to the building of the kingdom. The building of the church, not a building. Church does not is not a noun that defines building. It's a noun that defines the body of believers, the collective He says, and the gates of hell can't overcome you and the kingdom that I'll build through you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, man. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. It wasn't time yet. I want you to know as we close this out. God knows who you are. He shared with you who he is, just like he shared with us who he is. And in a matter of five scriptures, we understand all we need to about God. And now it's time for us to hear him and allow him to show us who we are to him. Man, I hope this was a blessing to you. Jesus is always unveiling the things in our lives that we need to hear and see. And as he continues to do it, 
I need you to continue to be open. I need you to challenge yourself. Who is he to you? Don't guess the answers right here. Now change your mindset to align with what Peter said so that you could align yourself to the truth that was the given by the father and not by flesh and blood. And as you align yourself with that truth, you have a God that will now give you the truth about who you are. And he's not just going to tell you those are crickets. <laughs> he's not going to just tell you who you are as a person that's part of his building of the church. He's going to get even more specific. Get even more specific. And he's going to tell you who and how he plans to build on you. That's some good stuff. I'll drink to that. I'm drinking sparkling water, by the way. I've been missing out. There's always something better if you open your heart and your mind to it. You don't have to say, all I know is soda. All I know is soda, man. If I can't have soda, what what type of life is this that that I'm living? I don't want to live a life without soda. Just try it. Man, I'm drinking this and I'm like, man, this is, I can live without soda. See, Jesus understands, God understands you can't live without something. So he gave us something that's great, but it's also great for us. If you don't understand that yet, that's okay. Neither did I. Oh, but when flesh and blood no longer talks to you, but the father does. You're going to see some awesome things. I'm Forrest Hall. This is episode 144. What do you see? Who do you see? One of those will be up there. Real Church Matters. Obedience over audience. God bless.